Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of 100 Words or Less, the podcast. I'm trying to find different cadences for this this intro because I find I just do the same thing over and over. And, you know, I guess there's some niceness about that, you know, the familiarity of tuning into something and being like, oh, okay, this is what I'm going to hear. But just trying to change it up a little bit, you know. I don't want it to be too boring. I mean, ultimately for myself because, you know, I don't care about you. The guest this week is Mr. Kevin Duquette from Top Shelf Records. He is half of that organization. Ironically, this interview was done in person. That's not the ironic part, but the ironic part was that it's done at No Sleep Records. Funny, right? Good people, good label, just love what they're doing. Recently relocated to the West Coast here. We're, we're excited to have him out here, welcoming with open arms. Anyways, let's get some formalities and business out of the way, and then we will be able to dive into the conversation with Kevin. So, you know, I was teasing a a big announcement. Well, that announcement isn't going to (laughs) happen. So basically uh, there was something really cool that I was working on up until about like uh, a week or so ago. Then I got a phone call and they were like, Hey, we're not going to do this anymore. So yeah, I'll just, I'll just keep it at that. No, no reason to air any sort of dirty laundry because you know, realistically it wasn't going to affect you, the listener at all in any capacity. So I apologize for the the tease because, uh, you know, I don't like to do that unless I know something is actually coming true. And this was kind of one of the first times that I've experienced the pulling out under the rug from me for something that I, I thought was kind of a sure thing. But anyways, it's neither here nor there. Something else is weird has been happening recently where, um, and partially just because, you know, like I've mentioned in some previous shows, I've been playing some shows with my old band. Getting recognized from obviously playing music is, you know, it's kind of part and parcel, you know, that that happens. I mean, obviously, it's not like I'm walking down the street, getting some coffee, and it's like, you know, 40 people are like, oh my gosh, you're, you're Ray, you sang in that band, blah, blah, blah. It's just always weird when, you know, I'm out in public, whatever, with my family, get recognized for whatever that person knows me from. It's happened because of this podcast too. And it's kind of funny that an audio medium, this is not a visual medium. So a person that knows what I look like has obviously done some monicum of research and is engaged with the show on that level. And it's pretty cool. I'm not going to lie. I really like the fact that you, the listener, um, you know, care and obviously want to either know more about me, know more about the guests. So you, you do research because research is the most important thing. I'm actually changing the way that I do a lot of these interviews in regards to, you know, I put in some research, you know, I, in the past I've, I've kind of kept it, you know, really loosey goosey and really trying to, uh, you know, shoot off the cuff. Of course I prepare some questions, But now I'm really kind of, you know, diving into looking at some of their past interviews, looking at stuff they've done on YouTube. And, you know, because I really, really, really don't want to be that person asking them for the 150th time how sick their new tour is. Obviously, I don't do that to begin with. And that's always been a formal part of the show. But, you know, some areas are well trotted on. And I, I try to make sure that that conversation is not happening here. If you want that elsewhere, that's fine. If you want me to ask about their newest record or how cool their guitar is or, you know, how was the producer that they worked with, that's that'll be left for other interviews. This is basically to know this person on a deeper level. So, Basically, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm putting a good, you know, hours worth of research when I am getting ready to speak to these people. So it's, I don't know, I'm just, I'm, I'm changing it a little bit. Just want you to know. And hopefully if you see some shift in tone or some shift in the questions that you, this will be a good thing. And if not, then tell me to screw off and email the show. 100 words podcast at gmail.com and visit the show's website. 100 words podcast.com. Let's step it up with these reviews. Okay. I've hammered you over the head if you've been a regular listener to the show for quite some time. Reviews are kind of a big deal for podcasts. So 
In order for this show to seem more legit, you got to dive into the iTunes store, type a few sentences, put a few stars on there. I know if you listen to other podcasts, everybody has the same plea. I really, I get an emailed report every week of the comments that are left on the show. And this is not only from the United States, but from across the world. So if you are listening in another country, first of all, you're much better than America because America, you guys, you've been slacking off. So just step it up. That's all I'm trying to tell you, leave some reviews. At the very least, if you like this podcast, that's the first step of what you can do. And I would really appreciate that. So like I said, Kevin Duquette, him and a gentleman named Seth run Top Shelf Records, who, you know, is kind of one of the coolest independent record labels around these days. Uh, between, you know, Top Shelf, No Sleep, Run For Cover, those labels are mentioned all in the same breath as being just like, wow, they got, they really got it down and they run with a very lean staff and I don't know, it's just really cool. So Kevin, I've only hung out with uh, once or twice and never really for a prolonged period of time. So I was, uh, I was doing a lot of projecting here. I, I, I made assumptions on who he was as a person. And, you know, some of it was true and some of it was very much not true. But we kind of get to the bottom of that and we discuss a lot of great stuff. So I don't ask him the question, so what's it like to run a record label? Or where should you start when you're running a record label? Because holy crap, those questions get asked. Like probably the first question or second question <laughs> when any label person gets interviewed. So anyways, we don't do that, but we do talk a lot about rad stuff. And then we'll leave you to that. So I'll talk to you after this stuff. Personal introductory point to kind of kind of, you know, you and the label and that stuff. Because I, I have no idea where we first met. I think it was just over the internet where we were just kind of like, oh, we existed in each other's circles. And it's like, oh, yeah, we should be friends or friendly on the internet. Um, I want to say it would be Twitter. Yeah, I think that's the first. You're Kevin. I'm Ray. That sort mm-hmm. of thing. But <clears throat> before that, it was like, I want to say it was around, it was around Old Pride, Peanuts Become the Teeth release, where it was like, I, I still love, like, I mean, I'm 34 years old and like, to still be excited about music, I'm really thankful for. And like, I remember when I, I stumbled across your label through that release, and I was like, "Oh, like you feel like you you you, you peel open a rock, or you know, you turn over a rock, and you're just like, oh, like there's all this great stuff here." And like, but I just wasn't aware of it before that. I mean, I had heard the name, but I just didn't know that the kind of quality was or what you guys were doing. When people find out about your label, do they kind of have that sort of like similar reaction? Like, you know, whatever you see an order come through, and you're just like. Oh wow! They ordered like six LPs or whatever. Like you know what? What sort of gauge do you have? Like in the sort of feedback that you get from people like discovering the label. So you can see that like that manifests itself in a few different ways. Yeah. So you'll you'll have the people that. Uh, I mean, this is a reason why I put our whole catalog up on Bandcamp and YouTube and SoundCloud and stuff because it's just like yeah, have fun, go at it. Right. And. A lot of times I see it when someone discovers a specific artist because then they'll just order everything they've ever put out that we have. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty cool. Um, like when Pianos, you just mentioned, went to Epitaph like the week or two after that announcement, we had so many new orders for them from yeah. people who had never placed orders with us before. And it was more or less, you know, you could tell they had just discovered that band via you know, epitaph as a, um, as a and, jumping off point. Sure. Yeah. And then, you know, went down the wormhole and found out they have a lot of other past material and then just bought it all. Yeah. And I remember when 
holy butts when like uh emo revival or whatever kind of like tipped off yeah i remember a tweet and it seemed so inconsequential at the time that dude ian who writes for pitchfork yep. had just dis- he was like live tweeting discovering our label and he was like man this is like he was like, I'm going right in here. And he's like, there's so much good stuff on this Bandcamp page. And he like tweeted a link to our Bandcamp. And I was like, oh, cool. And then I saw that he writes for them. And I was like, oh, well, that's cool. And then, you know, we started getting some coverage. But I, he was excited. I could just, he was like going through this stuff and going, wow, there's so much stuff that I didn't even know this stuff, kind of stuff was going on. Right. And it's like, yeah, that's a physical, like you were, <laughs> you were watching a physical manifestation and expression of someone discovering your label. Yeah. And it's, it's cool. It, I mean, yeah, it is. It's so, for lack of a better term, just because obviously it's like the internet has made um, everything obviously so easily accessible. There's something charming about when you do discover, you know, a label like whatever, No Sleep, Run for Cover, Tiny Engines, any of these labels that operate, quote unquote, just below the radar, where it's like they're not this huge overblown operation. And when I say overblown, like I don't mean that in a negative sense, but it's like, you know, none of those labels obviously have a staff of 15 people, you know, it's like, five people or less. Yeah, yeah definitely. Or less. <laughs> right. And so it's like, it, I think because it stays at that level, it does make it more exciting when you find it because you feel like it's your own in some respect, you know, like yeah, you feel true. like you're like, Oh yeah. Top shelf. Like that's, that's my, like that, that speaks to me. There, I'm, we have people that order almost everything we do, you know, and, uh, there's specific, I'll meet people like at fest or something, or if I go out on tour with the band and they're like, uh, you know, well, I'm standing behind the top shelf booth, so they just assume that like I must be someone there, and they're like, "Yeah, I love the label, yada yada." Like, uh, you know, I ordered this, that, and the other thing, and I'm like, "Oh, what's your email?" And I'm like, "Oh yeah, I know, like X stand for it, X at gmail dot com or whatever." You know, like, yeah, I don't even know if that's an email. Sorry, whoever has that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Apologies if you get ten emails, <laughs> but yeah, no, that's it's it, it does uh, yeah, like you said, it just it directly relates back to the fact that you're just like, oh yeah, like I yeah, you're gonna I'm gonna be connected to you because I've probably touched an order or I've probably like emailed with you if you had a customer service problem or whatever. Like you have that direct connection. Yeah. Um, but backing up, you yourself were you uh, born and raised like on the East Coast in the Boston area? Yeah, I mean. Massachusetts is small, so you're kind of always in the Boston area. But mm-hmm. it's like Western Mass is its own thing. That's where I grew up. And um, where specifically, what cities? Uh, what city? Springfield. Okay, yeah. Went to school in Westfield, and uh, ended up living in like Northampton, Amherst area for a while. Oh, okay. So there's a pretty rich musical tradition there, uh, kind of doing its own thing. Um, much of it predates me being mm-hmm. even alive right <laughs> uh but um yeah there's there's some cool stuff going on there and um it kind of died down for a little while but now it's like very resurgent i'm pretty excited about that it is weird like boston in particular i mean I, most major cities have this this symptom of where it's like you know whatever but like e- even looking at here in orange county where it's like you know there are so many bands that have come up from orange county that like don't identify with los angeles or whatever they're like oh that's a whole different beast but then it's like it, it kind of is reminiscent with like boston where it's like you have bands that are from boston and then you have bands that are just like oh i'm from like worcester you know i like it <laughs> you're you're from these like suburbs but that like it's not going to mean anything to anybody in the outside world and so right in a regional way it's like oh yeah you might you know you go play a show in Poughkeepsie or something, you're totally cool to just say whatever hyper specific local locality mm-hmm. you're from. But on the other side of the country, yeah, what's up? We're from Boston. Right. You know, it's it's all so 
I was on the other side of the state and I was 80 miles outside of Boston. So it's like not even that far. You right. Know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> when you do get out to the East Coast, it does make it like I just always remember when I would tour out there, it was always so nice to be like, oh, dude, everything's like three hours away. We don't yeah. have to drive like seven to ten <laughs> hours to get to these places, to get across Texas or up California or whatever. And so what was your family structure like? Do you have brothers and sisters? And yeah, mom yeah. and dad and that sort of stuff? I have, uh, you know, parents split up and stuff. So it was like I have some half-siblings and step-siblings. Okay. But I have a sister who's two years younger than me. Okay. And, um, yeah, just grew up kind of in that area with, mm-hmm. uh, when did your parents split up? Like what, how old were you? I was you? so young. I can't remember it. So, so it was like three. Yeah. I was, I was three and she was one or I was four and she was two or something okay, like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, not, not something that I like, it doesn't bring any memories of like the, yeah, Thanks, like, and they're yeah. like great friends. It's like not even a thing. Uh-huh. I like, it almost felt like, like my parents were, uh, just friends that lived in different places and weren't married anymore. I kn- there was never any like weird, bad right. divorce split kind of things. Right. Especially when you're that, I mean like my, cause my parents were divorced when I was like four and it was because my, my dad cheated on my mom. But, and like, you know, that story obviously was told to me, but I even, you know, even though it was a highly traumatic time in my parents' life, I was like, I don't, I don't remember anything. I don't, you know, I don't remember going to a courtroom for a custody battle. You don't like, you don't remember anything, which is good, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> but yeah, so you don't, even though you come from a quote unquote broken home, it's not like it's, uh, it's influencing your life where you're at now where you're just like, Oh man, I feel like I'm like missing. Oh yeah. Out. I don't, I mean, the only thing I like missed out on was, you know, I'd be with my dad for weekends. So I couldn't go to, I couldn't join a little league team cause, uh, they always did stuff on the weekends and I was like, really bummed about that. Yeah. But, I mean, that's like it, you know? <laughs> right, 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 right. And so, so you're, you live primarily with your mom during the weeks and then the, and your dad, well, you visit on the weekends and stuff. Yeah. 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 Um, and so the, and then your mom got remarried and so you have step siblings as well. Or? Yeah. My both, both of them got remarried. Uh, only my mom had, uh, uh, had another, I still have a younger, like half brother. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Which is wacky. Cause now he's like 21 and I'm like, dude, I remember when, you shit yourself, right. you know. I remember when I like tried to take care of you in some respect. <laughs> when I had like had to like help you with something. What did your What did your parents do for for jobs and and when you were getting uh, raised? Dad is a estimator at a roofing architectural firm. Oh, okay, and then my mom, real young, she was a teacher. Then she did like home childcare. Okay, so she could like be more involved with us, you know. Right, and um, that drove her insane, and. <laughs> which, like just watching your own kids is a hassle and then watching, you know, like six other people's kids at the same time and opening up your it, house. It made, yeah. yeah, it made our house really fun all the time though. It felt like there was always something going on cause there, there was kids getting into everything all right. the time. Uh, so that was cool. And she did that for really, that's kind of what I remember my whole childhood being. And then she got more into like administrative roles at, um, some schools in the area. Got it. Um, and I don't know specifically what she does right now, but she had, yeah, she right. does something in like, in, uh, <laughs> oh, well, she does something in music. Uh, no, okay. No, no. And, uh, like educational, like administration. Okay. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah. She, yeah. She works. Yeah. She works in the, yeah, in the schooling area. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, you, uh, you strike me just in, in how you are as a person and how you present yourself to the world. You are very, I haven't heard anybody speak negatively about you. Well, it'll happen, man. <laughs> well, what, you seem like such an easygoing dude. Like, you, you know, I, if you were, whatever, if someone were to just meet you and like not know where you're from, 
like we were talking about before we started recording, like you seem like such a quintessential Southern California, like sort of beach dude, just like, I'm chill, man. That's like, my vibe for sure. Yeah. I mean, were, uh, were you, were you like that? Like, you know, in high school, was that kind of the person you started to develop into? I think, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I've been, I don't know, mad about things or like, and, and, and then when you're done, you're like, that was pointless. That was such a waste of time. So now I try not to, I just try not to get upset about anything. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or even if I'm like late for something or there's traffic, I'm like riding, you know, shotgun with somebody and I'm like, dude, relax. Like you're road raging so hard right now. And I, maybe right. it's cause I don't drive. So I just don't care. And it's not something that I experience all the time. I'm just riding my bike. I'm like, yeah, whatever. Right. Uh, but yeah, these I just try and like keep it chilled out. <laughs> yeah, and where like where? I mean, because that seems like uh, that that is a specific decision. Like uh, we're not only is it, but I just find that ultimately it's easier. Yeah, I I mean I agree. Like I'm definitely I I'm of the same. It takes a lot for some like for me to actually get like angry. Like I I, I don't go to that emotion even when it's like a situation where I probably should be angry. I'm still like. I can't get that mad about it. I see where they're coming from. Like, <laughs> Oh, dude, I couldn't be like the ruler of a country or something. So I'd be like, ah, why don't we just send them like flowers or something right. instead? And yeah, everyone else would want warheads. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, that's. So my, were you, were you always kind of like that in high school? No, Well, no, I think okay. there's like, I don't, there's probably like specific events. And I said probably cause like now would be the logical point where we would then talk about them. But I'm like, I don't really know what they are necessarily. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I can't, I can't, nothing ever good has come from like having a knee jerk reactionary thing in my experience. Right. So I'm just kind of like, well, maybe sit back and react on that in a delayed way. And you know, then it'll probably, you'll probably have a better response to it. Right. Right. In general. So, so you, you would maybe in high, you also strike me as a person like in, in high school, you kind of got along with everybody. You kind of like filtered in and out of, of different friend groups or were you, were you kind of more specific to, no, that's like dead on. Okay. Played like sports and went to punk shows, you know, is, is, and I was one of the, I don't know I had a few friends that would do that, but like I had this weird Venn diagram of friend circles that, that didn't really make sense or add up like be at like jock parties or something. And I was probably like an anomaly and like some weird fun guy that they would hang out with. But it's right. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. I could, I could see you totally <laughs> being like, Oh yeah. Ke- like Kevin can come along. Oh, like that weird sort of like that weird dude, <laughs> dude, but he's cool, man. Like I could see people talking about you, whatever your sort of quote unquote jock friends for lack of a better term would be like, nobody's cool. Like they would vouch for you like that. Then you would show up at this thing and you would be, Hey, I'm cool. Like I'm, I'm down to have fun or whatever. <laughs> yeah. More that not a, Hey, I'm cool. <laughs> Maybe um, in high school at the time I might've said that. And so when did, uh, when did music kind of start to, uh, percolate in your life? Was it, was it in high school? Was it in junior high school that sort of, you know, started to show itself? It was, you know, like always kind of there, but not in like a way that I feel like pretty much anyone that you have on this, like there's a, there's a time where, music takes on like a much deeper you you have a a much stronger relationship with music in your life at some critical moment that you can always look back to right and i don't have like you know i don't have that cooler older sibling that like gets turns me on to something i didn't really have that figure in my life at all so for me it's i guess it's like a series of kind of like accidents that i even stumbled upon anything like this um because there wasn't like some older friend or anything like that i was just kind of like doing my thing and it definitely Dude, go like middle school, like getting into 
like you know things like blink 182 but sure. also just like whatever was on kind of like mtv because that was cool to watch and i wasn't my parents didn't want me to watch it so i watched it oh of course yeah and so you know things like that would uh, there's like some green day special or whatever uh-huh the one where they have like some of the kids come up in the crowd and like play their instruments. Sure. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I know what you're talking about. So, yeah. and I was just like, dude, this is so crazy. Of course. And I'm like 11 or 12 years old, and that's like the coolest thing I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. So, that is maybe like the tip, like the tipping point. Where I go, oh, cool. And then I found out about like Warp Tour through mm-hmm. things like that, and I didn't get to go to one. It's very weird because I like obsessed about it in this weird passive way uh-huh. and i just i don't know why i never went yeah because uh, it came in your area oh yeah no well yeah it did <laughs> maybe, um, maybe it was just the weekend that you couldn't get your dad to yeah, take right <laughs> um and yeah I, I don't know so yeah but it's so i'd find out about you know stuff that would be on that and i got into i got really into less than jake mm-hmm. and i got really into there was a pretty pretty big ska scene and uh, it was so weird because it was right along like indie, emo, punk, hardcore, whatever. Like, I mean, in the late '90s, early 2000s, it was totally normal to have like a ska band headlining some show with you know all bands of yeah, different genres. Yeah, right? yeah, and, yeah. Uh, I don't see that as much nowadays, but that's mm-hmm. one thing I remember from growing up in Western Mass, where just yeah, shows were all, were very eclectic and totally, that was totally they, normal. And it, yeah, and it was one of those things where it was like because of that, it, I think it was just more due to the fact that it was like if you're friends with these people, it kind of doesn't matter what their band sounds like. You're just like, Oh, we want to play together. So yeah. yeah. Well, I guess we'll throw all these bands on here. Anytime you see anybody talk about whatever mid nineties, late nineties, early 2000, even into the early two thousands of just like posting flyers or whatever. And just being like, like, I can't, I, it's like one of, one of my old bands played with bright eyes. Why the fuck did we, we are a hardcore <laughs> band. We played the Shea cafe with bright eyes. It was a horrible show for us because clearly no one was there to see hardcore, but it's like it, at that time it was just like, the, Oh yeah, that venue it made sense. Like, sure. We'll do that. Yeah. But no, like, I mean, <laughs> sonically it didn't make sense, but it's like the, there, there definitely is a, obviously a homogen, homogenization of, it makes more sense to put so many bands sonically together, but there's, there is a, an element missing of where you're like, you don't have to all sound exactly the same. Yeah. <laughs> but back then it was like this hodgepodge of, there was no rhyme or reason other than maybe like, oh yeah, I like those guys or, right. uh, you know, um, we'll toss them on a show. Sure. Right. Yeah. Right. Like you said before, or like you were saying off mic where you were a drummer, when did drums kind of start to come into your, uh, life? Was that in high school? Yeah. So I would be like air drumming stuff all the time. And like looking back at that, it's like, dude, no, that's not how that would go at all. But, um, and then I was like, well, I, I, I don't know. It seems like it would be fun for mm. sure like i really like doing it this air drumming thing that i do right <laughs> and like, well, like in i want to do this for real yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so somebody sold a friend of mine played in a hardcore band in springfield and he sold me his like just the kit that he got to start with mm-hmm. for like 75 bucks oh, that's amazing and, yeah oh but dude it sucked it no sucked no i mean so they, so it was it's probably like a sunlight kit like something yeah <laughs> like a, a basic guitar center a frankenstein kit of all kinds of different thing uh yeah all the shells were different makes and everything yeah it was so bad right so um i learned on that much to the delight of my parents i Uh, can imagine they were like because so she at this point now has like the home daycare with all these kids running around everywhere and then i come back from school and i want to play on my drums so you know they're all filtering out and going home their parents are picking them up and now i'm making you know horrible blink 182 covers yeah you're like I, I can play like like Travis. Like just let me let me take care of this. Oh man, that must have been uh 
Well, at that point, I was probably trying to play more just like straight punk stuff, like Pennywise or something. Sure. Like, cause that's what I was like, that's what I was finding. And I would quickly like branch out from, I think that would have been like seventh or eighth grade. Mm-hmm. And then like, once I got to high school, I remember I dated this girl and, uh, it wasn't like her that had an impact on my musical taste. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was her best friend. Okay. And she showed me like, uh, saves the day and everything that was going on with like vagrant and you know uh, I, I'm thinking like maybe triple crown at this point sure. kind of just like uh, and she sh- she showed me and like Saddle Creek stuff like we, you just touch on bright eyes but right. a, a lot of stuff that and I found like polyvinyl and I f- that was polyvinyl was probably one of the bigger labels to me but then I worked my way over to things like more local like what was happening with like clean plate mm-hmm. and things that were happening with like smaller labels around the country like Caulfield or whatever and it's just like whoa and that that's and then that's around when I didn't have a cell phone when I was in school that no one did no and and well you know that you're yeah. just we're in this weird pocket of the last people to right experience we're, we're, yeah we're definitely generally generationally where it's like I mean I remember getting a cell phone it was like I think it was maybe like my my junior year of high school and the only reason I got that was because my mom was like like you're driving, like this is like an emergency thing. It wasn't yeah. like you were calling people, like, "Hey, let's hang out." Like it was like, "I got to use this once a month or whatever." <laughs> and don't use it otherwise; it's so expensive. Totally, <laughs> totally. It was never. There was never a uh, a luxury item. This was just like a, a piece of technology I had in my car in case of emergency. Yeah, yeah. And I remember when it started to shift from like that to uh, I remember like texts were like twenty five cents each or something. And yeah. I was like, uh, so I wasn't really doing that too often, and now it's yeah. I can't even imagine. It's I can't so even imagine different. talking to people. I I didn't have a cell phone in college. I can't even like now. I think about it, I'm like that would have made things a lot better. <laughs> right, that would have made my life a little bit easier. <laughs> Dude, I walked all the way across campus. And you're not here with the yeah. you know, and it's now I could just text you. Yeah, you're like, oh, you're not gonna be there. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> so. Um, and so then you wild tangents this whole time. The, sorry. The, this is the whole, it's the, one of the whole points of this thing. Did you play in a band in high school? Like was that, did you yeah. that start to form? So, uh, yeah, yeah. High school. Okay. So going into high school, um, one of my close childhood friends was like, you know, both of us sucked at anything musically, right. but we, you know, agreed that we both wanted to learn how to do something and start a band. Got, I met some dude who played guitar in my like math class. Yeah. And then yeah, it was just the three of us to start, and we kind of had like a rotating door of some other people that we you know tried at like a second guitar and like changed out a bassist once or twice. But mm-hmm. we had like it was fun. We did like some tours on say, the East Coast. Play, what was the name of the band? Uh, it's called Six Finger. Six Finger, okay. Named yeah. after the uh, Nigo Montoya's. Uh, oh yeah, and Nemesis, and yeah, so <laughs> Princess Bride. Right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, not like the numeral six because God, that's tacky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. Fence to anyone doing that but right, uh right. but in the you know in early 2000s that wasn't like as uh squeamish of a like dude i'm no, i think that, back to like the name six finger and i'm like that's an awful band name it's totally bad i i mean from from a sort of first band perspective it's not that bad like i mean they're like clearly well I'll, my first band's name is doomed society and that we were like total that's kind of tight <laughs> I mean, we were totally like just like a bad punk band, but it was like, I look back on that and I'm just like, like that's, I mean, again, it described our sound, but that's exactly what your first band name should do where you're just like, oh, I want to like 
all we were doing is looking at like a band like Snapcase and then looking at a band like The Exploited, and we're like, we want to merge these two worlds. Fucking doom society, man. And it's like, oh, God. But so Six Finger is not a bad name. Okay, I can't, thank I can't you. tell what you sound like, though. We sounded like, okay, so none of it, you can't listen to it anywhere, I don't think. Maybe a pure volume, <coughs> maybe a MySpace page or something. Sure. I haven't really checked. And if it would be, it would probably be, I'm not even sure what material from like what era would be on <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, so we were yeah. banned for like six or seven years. Okay. So, you know, th- and that starts from like us literally learning our instruments to learn our first songs. Right. Which, you know, you can only imagine how bad that must be. Of course. To like, you know, seven years later when we're actually kind of. Yeah, kind of together. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I don't know what you would find on the internet, but hopefully not much. Yeah. And- <laughs> Would the so so, what were you trying to do? Okay, so like this is probably around when I started to get into like everything that I mentioned before. Like, I was basically sound like a Texas is the reason mock orangey kind of like sure early mock orange stuff because well, that the latter stuff hadn't come out yet, right? Which well, it's okay not to take away from that, it's still really good. (laughs) No, it's okay. Very few people know who mock orange is at all anymore. Okay, (laughs) I love that band, new record coming out. Um, oh, really? Yeah, I wasn't aware of that. Uh huh. Yeah, it sounded it sounded like that. Mm, saves the day influence as well. Probably like more stay where you are kind of stuff. Okay. Yeah. And yeah. Um, the band name, yeah, the band name doesn't describe the sound, but that's I mean, yeah. So so maybe your first band name is bad because it doesn't describe the sound. <laughs> but I was like, we were just getting into that, and I didn't really get a sense of the the aesthetic for that. Right. In terms of sonically, I guess I kind of got it, but I didn't really delve. And this is perhaps like a result of of the internet because you know i was finding out about this stuff through like last fm or whatever i wasn't right. going to my record store and like you know feeling this product and seeing it and seeing what the vibe of this band is all about on like an actual physical format or right. like seeing them play because some of them had broken up at this point and sure. some of them just i don't know not a lot of bands came through western mass and i don't have a car so it's like yeah. okay i'm not really going to see your band um, so do you, do, sorry, this is a tangent, but do you have your driver's license now? Do you yeah, have, I do. Okay. Yeah. You, so you can drive, you just oh, choose yeah. not to. Okay. Yeah. I was, well, so I live in downtown Boston, like parking spots are more than my rent. So right. there's yeah. no reason for you to do that. Okay. Got it. I was just, yeah. I was curious if this was a very specific decision of yours to be like, I'm not, I am not going to get behind one of these, these oh, vehicles. No, no. <laughs> I used to have a 15 passenger van, right. Uh, that I just like knocked all this. That was my first car. So just so you bought that for the specific yeah, purpose for the, of touring? For the band. Yeah. Nice, nice. When you started to tour and you, you started to obviously see the world a little bit more, what did your, uh, were your mom and dad being like, Kevin, what, what are you doing? Like tour? Like what is, were, were they, we would largely do stuff in like summer vacation time. Okay. And so that was seen as like a, Oh, okay. Like go that's your fun. summer camp. Sure. Yeah. Um, and that was pretty harmless. It, there was definitely a time period where pre-Top Shelf Records, but I was goofing around, like, playing in a band, and it was kind of, I don't know. The point is it like, this band isn't going to happen, but right. it's still fun. You know, like, yeah. that's kind of where we were at in the last, like, two, three years of it. And, uh, so, you know, I was just going out and, like, pushing this because it was fun and enjoyable, but it was very clear, you know, like, we weren't you weren't going to make it, right? Right. There was a few pockets that we could play, and like you know, like 100 or 150 people would come out, and that was like I, only in the Northeast. Sure. Uh, and these weird pockets of support, in like, uh, like Lancaster or like, right? Uh, you know, just like Philadelphia area or whatever, or New York, uh-huh. and that was cool. We never had like any kind of like momentum, yeah, of yeah, any kind, no, right? 
because um, we didn't know what we were doing. We had sure. no idea. You know, we started in eighth grade, and that is corresponds like ninety nine, two thousand, and we went till like two thousand five or six. Yeah. So it was like, and we were always just self releasing our own stuff. Yeah, yeah. Your first bands, you never have any like plan or i mean if you have a plan the only plan you have is like literally like one step in front of you where you're just like i'm going to do i'm we're going to put out a demo like it's not like you have this like seven year plan of like we're going to end up here it's like no like (laughs) you don't know i wouldn't even know what here would be right no it's yeah because none of that made sense because that was still at the time where obviously bands didn't uh independent music hadn't got to the point where it's like you felt like you could quote unquote make a living out of it i knew that people did yeah but um it was it wasn't like it is today like it wasn't as common as it is now right yeah yeah, yeah. uh i remember using things like uh book your own fucking life mm-hmm. um and then like i was more concerned with where our songs were regionally on the mp3.com charts if you remember that of course those were huge you were just like oh man where are we gonna yeah i agree yeah those are those are just different metrics yeah (laughs) like i'm most people probably don't even remember that website but (laughs) yeah and i remember when pure volume sprung up it was like whoa this is great yep and then that they just kind of abandoned that but yeah and then like myspace i would book shows over that was so much would get done over myspace totally us working with pianos become the teeth was like large MySpace, MySpace, MySpace messages. Yeah. That's, that's how that started. So that's that, that dates that. Yeah. 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 Um, so then, uh, as you, did you, did you have a, a quote unquote plan in your own head as far as like when you started to graduate high school and kind of like what you wanted to, what, what did you want to do with your life, Kevin, at, at that point? So when I was a little kid, I wanted to be a marine biologist. Mm hmm. And then I would be drawing like whales and dolphins and stuff <laughs> like for real. <laughs> so good. Yeah. Just doodling. I guess like teachers or something saw that I was, you know, had a knack for drawing. And then I gradually, my parents and teachers would like, they kind of steered me in that direction. And I mm-hmm. was really into it as well. So I kind of abandoned that and went more like art. I didn't like art in general, right. like all through middle school and high school so i didn't really know what the heck i would be what doing what that meant right yeah right. but i just liked it, like painting and drawing and mixed media type stuff it wasn't until my senior year of high school like my last it's not semesters in high school i forgot what it is quarters even, quarter sure, sure whatever it was uh i took a photography class and dude this is 2003 mm-hmm. not a lot of schools have like computer labs or anything at that point right um and the ones they that do like they're, they're kind of like old not that good and so like i didn't really even understand like the that there could be web design or graphic design and all these things like done in a digital way right and well obviously web design but um people were online and stuff but it was i don't know i just didn't really see how you didn't put the two together yeah and i took a, a photography class and it shared uh it space with uh like a computer lab and one of our one of the teachers i had was just like uh graphic designer that retired and was just teaching in public school mm-hmm. and uh i learned a ton just like passively just like whoa what is all this and that piqued my interest and then that's what i knew i wanted to do going okay. to college got it so then i was just like taking graph- graphic design courses in college yeah did you graduate from college no okay i how close took, did you come oh dude it's embarrassing i am uh six credits away from having a degree and i just like was like ah oh, fuck it that's amazing. You're like, you're like two classes, basically. Yeah. That, and I live next to, like, where I live in Boston, I'm next to, like, Mass Art, uh, right. Museum School, or School of Museum of Fine Arts. I'm next to, 
there's like 20 something colleges within a mile radius of me that all have our programs and I could just easily have gotten this done the just, last five yeah. years. And I just, I just don't. Right. It's but like almost at a principle now. You're just like, nah, I'm fine. Paying <laughs> off my student loan debt sucked without a degree, but yeah. Yeah. Then that's definitely true. <laughs> um, like, what is this for? <laughs> what am I doing this? Did you, cause you worked at the Boston globe for a while. Was that like your first quote unquote, like sort of real job, so to speak, as far as like getting, that's what got me moved from Western mass to Boston okay. before that. So I took the, I took my first job doing like basically working for a web design development firm uh, in Northampton, just taking like client work and yeah, whatever they needed. Yeah. And so that was cool. And you know, I got like a decent salary and benefits and stuff. And I was like, so that was like, I was going to go back and finish school, mm-hmm. but, uh, but that which, was too good. There. But I was like, Oh, this is fine. And I'm already, and I, I found pretty quickly that like programming world, mm-hmm. uh, if you can just if you can show like hey I can code this up and I understand like processes and semantics and I understand like basically if you could just show your chops and show that you know what you're doing like they don't really necessarily care whether or not you have a degree and no, I work it's true work. yeah your work your work definitely opens the door for you especially I mean a person like yourself where it's like you're personable like most people that are, are, are sort of relegated to the corner of like oh yeah they're just a programmer like don't <laughs> talk to them like I worked with some of those for sure totally and so it's like but you you obviously you come from a more artistic background so you know how to um, you know whatever interact with humans like as opposed to just hey like, likewise yeah well there we go <laughs> but so it's like yeah you're not your skills are more than just like obviously the yeah just just program me this thing like shut up and don't talk to me because you're weird so it's like you're you can offer more and that will hopefully like get you you know that will get you the work where you landed yeah, yeah. and that's kind of like you know how it happened maybe i would have got offered like a better salary or something if i had a yeah. degree but it didn't i don't know it didn't bother me and it wasn't like didn't feel like it was hindering me at all so i just didn't finish and yeah. then the label started to take off and i was like well now i'm my own boss well with seth seth's my boss yeah, and, yeah. Uh, <laughs> i don't necessarily need this right uh immediately and i was like if i ever come to a point where like okay music is not a thing that i can live I, you know i can live off of or i'm not passionate about it anymore or whatever yeah then you know maybe i just go back and get those six credits and then totally and then, then you have a piece of paper that proves you're a smart person right yeah, yeah. Or something <laughs> something like that <laughs> um and so then uh so then i mean it, the the history of top shelf is well documented in regards to like how you guys got started and you, you met seth you met seth prior to i mean it was like early 2000s you met seth mm, like 2004 oh, okay got it um, and just do like shows in the area, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. He was playing in other bands. He booked other shows. You know, I booked shows, and we didn't have a lot of crossover. Mm-hmm. But like, you know, we increasingly we started to from like 2004 on, mm-hmm. and he eventually, basically, the end last year of the band, like he played uh, in it briefly as well. Okay. Um, and he played another. So you, oh, you guys played in the same band together, and that was yeah. that, that was that Six Fingers still. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So and then the idea came to be, you know, he approached us about like, hey, because um, we were coming back from like a two week East Coast tour or something, and he reached and we had just self released an EP. Okay. And he reached out to us about like doing like a homecoming slash like record release kind of show. Mm-hmm. And we were like, okay, we didn't really have that plan because we touched on earlier. We right. never they were like, business minded. Yeah. No, we're like, okay, cool. And he was like, well, he offered to book it at some like VFW hall, and you know, just handle everything. And uh, so when we got back, you know, that was when I like actually like met met. Right, got to know him a little bit. Yeah, yeah. 
And um, then we were talking more and more about it and saying how... Um, like, did, did you... Because, I mean, everyone always asks the question of, like... I mean, every interview that I, I, I have seen of you where it's just like, oh, did you did you want to start an independent record label? Like, the, the simple answer... It, no. No one ever has any idea that they want to start something. They just, you just do it. And then all of a sudden it starts to like build momentum. You don't have this, like, you know, it's not like you're 10 years old and being like, man, I can't wait to put out my first seven inch. Like, <laughs> I mean, if that is, then like, that's a that rare, rules if, yeah, that, no, then you're, then you're awesome. But it's like, it's such a, it's such a weird thing to, cause I, I mean, I've watched it's, I've put out records myself on my own quote unquote label. I've worked in labels for years and it's like, even talking to people from like well-established record labels, it's like they started out of just like sheer necessity. Like, Oh, I just had to release my band, my own band's record. Yeah, that's what I mean, and so that's what it was. The first release on Top Shelf is our own band's release, right? And then you know, the ensuing ones were f- very close friends' releases, right? And at that time, we didn't have a logo or anything. We didn't have, we weren't cataloging like TSR 001 or yeah, anything. Yeah, well, it didn't we were, matter. Yeah, you were selling it out of your your the, the quote unquote trunk, like yeah. you were just hand to hand, and so. This was just like a by the third or fourth one, we're like, dude, uh, you know, I think we're a record label. And, yeah. uh, you know, so we basically just started to look into what we need because we were having fun doing it. Of course. And and then that's when we were kind of like and then we're in college at this point and we're kind of looking at it and going, all right, well, this is fun to do on the side right now. And it's like not really hampering our studies or in my in my situation, my non studies. Right. So, and I was psyched on it. I was like, okay. And I taught myself how to like front end code, uh-huh. uh, to like build us a website and like build our friends bands websites and right. built like a, there's this website in the Northeast called just another scene. Okay. Oh yeah. Yeah. I remember that. And I really it like kind of went defunct and it kept getting like not really updated. And so I wanted to build something to replace that, which never saw the light of day, mm-hmm. but yeah, yeah. You taught yourself how to do those things. Yeah. Yeah. You know, obviously as top shelf started to develop, I mean, and again, this is like well documented in regards to it was whatever you say, 2008, 2009, that's when you, when you felt, I mean, things were going well, but at the same time, like from a financial perspective, you were like, you were, you guys were basically oh. going to be like, fucking we're done. Like we can't do this anymore. The sort of soul searching moments that you went through, I'm sure whether it was like, cause at, at that time you were still working at, you were working at the Boston Globe still, correct? No, like, I was no. Globe for me was only 2000, maybe late 2009 to like mid 2011. Oh, okay. And before that, I was at this company called Fuzz Productions in Northampton. Okay. Um, and that was just sort of, and at, in my time at both of these places, I think it was probably clear to my employers that uh, I didn't care. Um, yeah, you're like, I'm just doing label stuff. Yeah, I was like, I'm doing label stuff. I mean, that's what I cared about. And in, like increasingly, that's what I cared about. Right. And, you know, I didn't find myself staying at two at places very long because I was just like, uh, I, a couple times I like, the label just was what took precedence and that's right. what I cared about. Right. And so I knew probably around that time I wanted to make the label something like viable more mm-hmm. than just a hobby. And it was actually starting to be something that took up more and more of my time. So I realized, okay, this is going to start to take up this much of my time. Like we need to find a way to balance like nine to five plus this label on the side. And me and Seth were kind of running the same problems. Right. So I was the first one to kind of like jump ship 
from the nine to five world and like go top shelf full time. Right. And that was in 2011. So okay. I've been doing it since then. Right. And then he just recently did that this year, switching his role at bridge nine, bridge nine to just top shelf full time. Right. And so when you were going through those moments of just like those, obviously the growth pains where it's like from an outsider's perspective, the label is doing okay. Like you're releasing stuff and you're moving forward, yeah, yeah. but it's like, no one knows the internal struggle of just like shit. Like we're getting hit with a $20,000 manufacturing bill. Like we, literally don't have that money and like having those, those sort of gut check moments, like, you know, what, not even so much like for, you know, the label or, you know, your relationship with Seth, what were you going through internally of just being like, I, I got to push this through. This is something I still need to follow through on. Or did, did you have that moment of just like, man, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta go. But then Seth convinced you otherwise, like how did that all yeah, sort so of, so we had like a, a little bit of a falling out and it was totally on me. Mm-hmm. Like in hindsight, just like kind of being a baby I, I didn't like love the direction of what you know. We're only releasing like two, three records a year, uh-huh. and I just wasn't. I was. I was kind of like, listen, man. I like. I feel like if this is just going to be like a hobby, especially like I really want to do stuff that like I love. I really like. I don't want to put it out unless we, like we really love it. Right. And we were starting to like put out records just because it was like our friends' bands. And like not necessarily like loving what they were doing, sure. but just like yeah, I, I You're love, like I like the people involved with this. Yeah, right. and it's like you can't do that that way. It's that's not a viable thing because that's palpable. Like people know like this is dialed in and this is uh, get me excited about this. How can you do that if you're not even excited about this? So, sure. Okay. Yeah. And it, it came and it sort of you know our heads were or hearts rather were in the right place and now we were trying to like get more for our friends and for our bands and. Trying to just like, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Become more legitimate or expand no, your, no, expand your roster. Kind of just wanted to like elevate where, like the local scene that we were a part of, you know, like local bands and our friends that were playing. And then we kind of wanted to just give them a platform, like where oh, they sure. could. Okay. But like at the same time, we started to be less. You know, we have different varying tastes, and they wouldn't always align with like what we were putting out early on and there's mm-hmm. if you go back in the catalog the first like 10 15 releases are like a hodgepodge mix of like what is this, this is, is all a over Kevin the place. release this is a seth release yeah this and sometimes a- like just like a this is a supporting some of our friends are wanting to to help out something that we you know yeah uh that we're friends with and we just want to put it out there so um and i we had kind of like some disagreements about how to go about it and because again at that point sort of like we don't really understand the scope or how, where we're taking this or where it's going or whatever. So, uh, definitely stopped talking for a while. Yeah. And, um, was it basically you, you just, you yourself just kind of were just like, fuck this. Like I got to step away from it. And like, <laughs> yeah. not, not even like a, a dick move, but just like, I got to separate from this. Cause I can't, I can't stand talking to Seth. I can't dig into this right now. And you're, you were just stepping away. Yeah, kinda. Mm-hmm. I so I went and just took a plane and went to Costa Rica for like three or four months. I came back and I was like, "All right, dude, I've been." Th-. And I started going to like some more shows and stuff because I I was just kind of like a little bit out of it, and I was focusing on like being a graphic designer or like trying to focus on my professional career because I just saw that like this was eating up more and more of my time, mm-hmm. and I wasn't really sure where I didn't really know where the hell which direction very much like two forks in the road or you know fork in the road and i don't know which one to take Mm -hmm. and this is this like crossing back and forth before you know having to make a decision and um so finally i was just like damn i'm still pretty dang excited about like music in general and that's what i keep coming back to so i hit him up and uh we grabbed like a dinner or something and then we probably just like talked for like two or three hours 
and coming out of it, that was like, I were, told, you, were you scared going in that conversation with him? I, I was definitely like tail between legs. Like, yo dude, I know like, and he, I he was keeping, a, he was keeping the machine going. He was keeping things running and like, pretty smoothly and i was like you do not need me <laughs> but like and you know it's one of the now it's at this point where it's like i don't even know i wouldn't know the first thing about what he well i know what he does on a day-to-day but like in of a, course you you guys both you, you guys do feel this really interesting because like having an independent record label that has two specific visions is that's next to impossible and it, it, you guys fill e- each other's roles very well like every business person needs a person that is like the band dude and every band dude needs a business person you know yeah. it's like you have to have that yin and yang like because otherwise like you'll just be you know you're adrift in like i want to sign this band because they're so sick but they've asked for like twenty thousand dollars but i don't care man they're so good and then the business guy's like that is a terrible dude, decision i do that to him like once a week probably and um <laughs> and he has to pull you back to be like i i realize that you like yeah. that band kevin but yeah uh but more often than not it's the dude listen to this band uh this is so good and he's like they just started like a half year ago no like we there's a lot of work we're gonna have to do with this and you know we have a really busy release schedule and we can't commit that kind of like time and bandwidth to like he was like let it just kind of ride out and we'll keep an eye on it kind of thing you know like there's so many like business decisions that need to happen and i get that that's so that makes so much sense but there's that part of me that's like no 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 i'm you know we're here now and I'm excited about it. And yeah, it's a testament obviously to your friendship that you guys have obviously weathered the difficult times and the storms because otherwise you wouldn't have ever had that, that moment of, like you said, like you coming back to that dinner table with the oh, yeah. know, tail between your legs and being like, I'm really still passionate about this. Seth. Like, <laughs> can I, can I come back? Like what, what was that? Was that I mean, the discussion that happened in a much more drawn out, long winded right. way? I'm sure. Right. Uh, I might've said a sorry or something. I'm sure at some point. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, I talked to him about a few different bands that like had my attention and I was excited about right now mm-hmm. and sort of, I think we realized it was like, all right, like dinner, we were kind of like, all right, we need each other to kind of keep this thing moving in a, like in a, because otherwise, I don't really know if he would have slowly over time just like phased it out, mm-hmm. or if he would have kept it going. I mean, I don't really know. That's there's no way to know. Yeah. But uh, the work of two people up to that point, and it's not the same thing when it when you know you have when it. one one of that yeah. component is missing. But yeah, no, I understand what you're saying. I mean, definitely, it's it's yeah. You you guys, like I said, you you work you work with each other so well that it's like you you couldn't envision this thing existing without. One I of those. I can't do the label without him like if he goes you know he'll go on a vacation with his wife or something occasionally while he's gone it's almost like uh you leave a list of things to make sure that like the babysitter does sure or whatever and you know like here's 20 dollars, take this to the dry cleaning that kind of thing uh and i'm just like i don't know i don't know what dry cleaning is to do that part you know this is my analogy for of what course. yeah the shit he does and i'm and then i have to talk with this whole new set of people that I never even knew existed that he talks to, you know, on a day-to-day basis. And I'm like, okay, hey, uh, filling in here. What's up? Yeah. Uh, and hey, do, they, they're like, don't you win the label too? Yeah, I do. I just don't, <laughs> yeah. I don't know how to do this really. Yeah. <laughs> so incredible. I'd say on a day-to-day basis, we are constantly reminded of how much like things are unchanged and that we have no fucking idea what we're doing. Sure, of course. <laughs> That's as, as most businesses, as most good businesses do. Um, the last two things I want to hit on were the, um, 
I, I distinctly remember you guys. Did you guys do the entire Warp Tour of 2010? Oh, we did a few years. Yeah, 2010, 2011, though, right? I think, or was it, it? That sounds right. I just remember when you guys had the uh, you know stop listening to awful fucking music, and that was um, like so I hate that shirt. I, no, I know, and I and that's why I bring it up because it, it's such a because um, it was like I think it was like the Warp Tour in San Diego where I just I walked by. I didn't know you guys at all. But it was like walking by your table. I was like, for one, I was like, that's weird. They're here. Like, why are they on Warp Tour? Just because it's like, stylistically speaking, you didn't identify with ninety-eight percent of the bands on the tour. Sure. Yeah. To see the 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 salvo of like, stop listening to awful fucking music seemed like obviously commentary on what was happening around you guys. And it, I didn't, since I didn't know any of you, I was obviously projecting like, oh, that seems pretty pretentious. Um, totally. Yeah, you guys obviously received feedback and negative feedback on that, no, or was it one of those weird. things? You it's just kinda... so much of it was see, and I, that shirt was made only within the scope of that day on Warp Tour, you know, or like that summer. And then I guess I never really thought like, oh well, now there will there will be hundreds of these just out and about, and that's that sucks, uh, <laughs> right? Because it was just like this like novelty thing, and everyone had like their own dumb shirt, their own swear word shirt, shirt. Yeah. yeah. And so we were just like kind of making fun of the whole entire thing, right? Hear me out, man. There's a lot of people who go to that tour just because they always go to that tour, and you know we had like a back before like iPod or whatever. You know we had listening stations set up with CD players and headphones, and we had like you know, uh, for fans of or like R-I-Y-L and like a list of like, you know, I'd say like, you know, Hey Mercedes or just D-Plan or like whatever. And we'd have people come up and be like, oh, fuck yeah. And, uh, you know, put it on and listen to it and buy it. And so it felt like this thing where it was like, I had my friend Andy and he had like the whole Green Vans thing, mm-hmm. you know, so it was a pretty low level of entry in terms of like cost to go out and do it because uh, just the friend hook up there. Mm-hmm. We just kind of saw it as like a, hey, this is a, a viable, cheap way to introduce these people obviously like music and quote punk music or whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think we could if that was there for me, like when I was 13, 14 years old, I would that would have changed everything for me, you know. Yeah. And so, yeah, you, you viewed it. I like the way that you view that. It's a, it's an entry point where it's like, obviously, there's a lot of people that you know, deride a, you know, retail outlet like Hot Topic where they're just like, oh, fuck Hot Topic. Like, you know, I mean, this was more so in like the mid 2000s where it was like, you know, it was obviously the commoditization of independent music. And it was like, uh, I always definitely more so where I stand now where it's just like, you know, is Hot Topic a viable place in like the city of Los Angeles? Like, well, no, because there's obviously millions of other record stores and other lifestyle outlets. But it's like to a kid in Topeka, Kansas, when a Hot Topic opens up, that may be his his or her only choice. And so it's like, I like that's the way that you were viewing Warp Tour, where you're just like, okay, well, yeah, maybe we don't make sense stylistically in what's happening here, but to the kids that do interact with us, they may find their new favorite band. And all of a sudden, like you said, their life is changed from that point on because they you know listen to my heart to joy or something like that where yeah. they're just like oh my god like and here's this label and so it's it's awesome that you guys viewed it like that and it wasn't this like oh Every, we're just we're just gonna we're just here to take the piss out of this whole thing we had a, a very boring tent if you could like because it you came up to it and you're like okay uh there was nothing no one was coming to our tent like excited and, like you know it wasn't a destination <laughs> at any right. point we were just uh i gotta convince it, these people to come over here yeah right uh and we had, you know, the headphones set up. It was work. You know, people were there to 
you know, to not do this. They want to watch live music, not sit here and have me put headphones on them and play them a CD right. and pick which read, read all this literature here and let me know which one you like it. You know, <laughs> yeah. very like, right. Uh, this was a hot, this was, you, you were, if you were walking over to me, you're investing your time into this. We got, yeah. I got you for at least 15 minutes here. <laughs> and it, it, you know, and people would say no or whatever, and that's fine. Right. Um, I, those summers were like, I've never heard no, like more in my life. You right. Know? Right. But it was the feeling when like somebody was like, Oh yeah, this is awesome. And like, dude, we would just be giving away stuff left and right. Cause I was just so psyched that someone would like be into it. Uh-huh. Um, and we would totally target people based on like the shirts they were wearing. Right. You know, I would just be like, Oh dude, you please, you're going to have a good time with this. You know, like, yeah. why are you here? And they're there to see like that one or, or those two bands, you know? Yeah. And at like $35 a ticket, that's not unreasonable, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, totally. Well, that, that's cool. That's, yeah. You viewed it that way and not like this, this, oh, I can't wait to go out here just so we can like make fun of kids. Cause yeah. like that, obviously like that wasn't the, uh, that wasn't the perception that I had personally, like I said, just walking by your tent, but it's like, obviously when you combine that, that, that merch design with like everything else where it was just like, Oh, like top shelf hadn't really uh, developed your guys's identity yet. Like God, you, no. you and Seth weren't like known in the sense of like, Oh, like, yeah, those guys are just doing it to like, you know, so anyways, it just, it makes I more definitely sense. Learn from that. That was like the low lying fruit of uh, a means to, you know, sell some shit on a, on right. like a tour like that. That could be like pretty hard to do if you're small, you know? Yeah, no, um, totally. And like going back, I guess like that's, yeah, I wouldn't want to do it that. I mean, I hate those shirts now. I just yeah. hate them. As long as people stop bringing it up, then I'll be okay with that. <laughs> I'm glad I could bring it up for you. Yeah. Your label, Run for Cover, Top Shelf. Sorry, no sleep. <laughs> All of these labels kind of existing in this, in like I said, in just quote unquote beneath the radar, where it's like all those labels can sell records because we all have distribution, and it's like. It, there's this weird air of competition that exists where it's like, cause all of us have somewhat similar styles of like taste and music. And there's always this weird thing where it's like, okay, if like no sleeps talking to this band, everybody else knows it. And then vice versa. And then oh, it's yeah. like, Oh, then if like, if an epitaph comes into play, like what are we supposed to do? And like all those labels that I just listed, like all technically support one another in the sense of like, there's that level of respect where it's just like, Oh, well, like, no, like you guys don't go out of your way to talk shit actively on, on any of those labels. And like, but there is this weird underlying competition that kind of exists, you know, with bands as well, where it's like, they may be, you know, whatever, you know, band A may be friend with band B, but they're technically still trying to go for the same kid. You'll never hear more shit talk than like the five hour drive between like city A and city B on a tour. It, everyone is just like. Yeah, especially when like I hop in a, a van or something because then they're like, "What do you got coming up? What are you doing? Like, what uh, what do you think of this?" And because it's like another person in the van that is like in this world, and everyone just wants to pick each other's brains. And yeah, and then I made a like New Year's resolution that I've broken a couple of times. So it's like I'm not gonna say anything bad about anyone, uh-huh. uh, especially if they're not there. You know. I can say something bad to you in front of your face because sure. I mean, fuck you. <laughs> but uh, yeah, but, yeah. Uh, yeah, it was like, I, yeah, I can't do that. And I've definitely like slipped up a couple times after a few beers. But it's like, for the most part, it's like, I don't have anything bad to say about anyone in particular because I don't know. I haven't heard anyone say anything bad about me or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so it's like, why? That's just a downer. It's such a bummer when like that mentality takes precedence over like, the positives like the community that's built the greater community that's around all this stuff Mm -hmm. there's definitely competition but it's like 
I think it's like friendly too. I know like Jeff run for cover had their office in my apartment for like a year and a half or so around like 2012. And, you know, we're literally coexisting in the same space for a a long period of time. And is, you know, we're all up in each other's business and that's totally, totally fine. The vibe was good. And like, there was, you know, we're always going after the same stuff and doing similar things, but at the same time, it's, there's more positive than negative, I think, to come from all of that. Yeah. Uh, I think there's a cool support system. We all carry each other's, uh, releases in our, in our stores and our distros and, I've given them like, hey, where do you get this printed? Like, hey, I go here. You're gonna get a better rate here. They do a better job here. Mm-hmm. Where do you like? Where are you guys getting distribution in like Europe? I'll, I'll intro you. You know, like, like it's it's a uh, behind the scenes things, just like helping each other out that maybe wouldn't exist in other industries. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, that's true. There, there is definitely that. Like, no one's blackballing anybody from like you know. If you do ask for that advice, no one's been like. I'm not going to tell you where it's like, yeah, like obviously like an investment baking, like, can you give me a hot tip on that stock? No, like I'm not not doing that. But like the camaraderie is there because at the end of the day, it's like, you know, even though the music industry, you know, is what it is and it's always obviously in the perpetual decline, you know, the independent music industry, relatively speaking, can stay above that fray because they're, you know, we're existing in a world that's, still supports the physical medium, you know, like not as large as it once was, sure. but to the, to the extent where it's like, yeah, they will, you know, whatever you can, you can be in your 11th pressing of the, you know, pianos become the teeth record and like no sleep can be. And it's like 14th pressing of law disputes, you know, somewhere. And you're just like, who hasn't bought this record now? <laughs> right. It's but crazy. There's, there's always people being turned on to it. I think there's been a huge resurgence or interest rather. I shouldn't even say resurgence in what, all these labels are doing like Count Your Lucky Stars, Tiny yep. Engines, Us, you know, everyone we mentioned, Run for Cover, No Sleep, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, in the last years, I'm seeing everyone kind of get lifted, at, you know, together, which is really cool. Totally. Um, and I think, you know, over the years, what we're all doing changes and shifts a little bit. The The ethos and the aesthetic is largely consistent and the same and slowly starts to cement itself as like a at this point i kind of know what no sleep is all about i kind of know what run for cover is all about but those things kind of like changed with tastes and with like overall trends over time too Mm -hmm. sometimes reactionary against sometimes you know going with so it's like that's everyone's just kind of like vibing all together. I don't yeah, know. yeah. No, I don't, no, there was I, no end point to that. I don't yeah, know. no, I agree. Yeah, Tangents. Like, right. No, I mean, yeah, no, I, I think none of those, none, none of the labels, none of those labels could really exist um, kind of without one another, as strange as that sounds, because it's like there is that level of whatever competition trying to sign the same bands, but it's like at the same time, it's like if there aren't more choices for bands, like, you know, whatever, a band that has worked with you guys, you know, could theoretically move to no sleep and vice versa. They would just want a different experience. And, and like, often do. And yeah. And and, it, it, and ultimately it, it comes down to the fact where it's just like, it's not like, oh my God, that was an awful experience. It's just like, yo, we want to try something different. Mm-hmm. Like, because you have a different vibe or you have a different aesthetic. And it's like, okay, yeah, like I, I, I get that, you know, um, as opposed to, just having kind of one choice in the game where it's like, well, I guess keeps everyone on their toes. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. And and, and it's kind of like, uh, I mean, think how stagnant or potentially, uh, half-assed that could be, Mm -hmm. you know? So it's sort of like you wake up every day going, all right, I need to do a really good job at my, 
at what is my job. Right. Uh, <laughs> but not just, you know, because I want to or because of, you know, reasons of I'm working for people that I care about or, you know, yeah. at this point. But also just like, you know, there's a whole other world around here of, you know, moving parts and other people doing similar similar things. And it's sort of a keep up. It's friendly. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. It's a it's a friendly little competition kind of thing. Yeah. No, I agree. Everyone's always looking over everyone's shoulder. Mm-hmm. And um, sometimes I'm like, oh, that's cool. And sometimes I'm like, well, I don't give a shit. But right. <laughs> yeah, yeah totally. you do, that's fine. You do you. Yeah, <laughs> we'll, yeah. we'll do us over here. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate you hanging out with me. Thanks for uh, doing this in the no sleep office, which is yeah, it's, I know it's appropriate. We should have been sitting in Chris's desk. That would have been that would have been appropriate. Oh, that's where I'll be working from all day. <laughs> well, I think he's in London right now. Or something? Yes, he is. Yes, he is. Okay. So. Well, thank you very much, Kevin. I appreciate it. Oh, dude, totally. <laughs> So that was Mr. Kevin. Like I said, I'm very glad that Top Shelf Records is out here on the West Coast now. It's awesome. And we like to have good people out here because anybody that's traveled to Southern California realizes how awesome it is. And, you know, primarily because of the weather. Like, I'm not going to lie. That's definitely the main factor in people coming out here. And so I just always encourage people, if you're ever looking for a place to move, just come out here. You'll you'll probably like it. So anyways, the producer, as always, is Tom Richfield. I have been your host, Ray Harkins. I don't think I've ever done that on the outro, but yeah, whatever. Here we go. Just trying something new, you know? Just, we're getting on the three-year anniversary. I mean, it's going to be a few months, but I think it happens in May. I can't believe we've been doing this for three years. It's awesome. So anyways, that was Kevin. I'm Ray. This is 100 Words or Less, the podcast. An awesome show is coming up next week, as all these shows. I mean, let's just just be honest. This is probably one of the best podcasts you listen to, right? Anyways, until next week, be safe, everybody.